welcome Patrick and Dan. Thank you so much for joining Humanly Possible. How are you both? Doing great. It's great to see you, Angela. Great to see you. Yeah. Uh, You all, um, I I just, first of all, I'm really, really um, grateful that you have come and taken the time to join. Uh, We've had some fantastic conversations around um, employee experience and change and the transformation that's happening in the world of work right now. So I am honored to have you both on and I know you're you're both doing some great work. So uh, please tell the audience um, who you are, what makes you human and what you're working on. Uh, Maybe Patrick, do you wanna start with you? Sure, sounds great. so thanks for having us on, Angela. We're just thrilled. We've always been big fans of you in in through different modalities through the years. And you've been a client many years ago. And and now I feel like we're we're all collaborating together toward this, you know, the the future of work, which is really great. So my name is Patrick Riley. Um, I am the co-founder of a company called Radical. Uh, we're based out of the Twin Cities here in beautiful Minnesota. And we are a people science and employee experience design firm. So we're focused on basically helping organizations move beyond kind of the traditional approaches to employee engagement, performance management, and um, and even wellness too, kind of bringing those things together and just sort of finding a new focus forward. So that means we do a lot of design work with our clients. We do a lot of science work, and then we have a technology capability to be able to solution toward that. And uh, we just started Radical um, about six months ago. And yeah, it's been great fun off and running. And just by way of a little background, I was the CEO and co-founder of a company called Modern Survey. Um, Dan was also co-founder. He'll jump in in a second. And we were really kind of a pioneer in enterprise employee engagement um, surveys and platforms. So we did that for about uh, 15, 16 years, sold that firm to Aon, and uh, now we're off on our new adventure. Oh, and what makes me human? Um, well, I made a, there's a, well, there's a lot of carbon in me, so there's that. But, um, you know, I feel like for me personally, um, I'm kind of always curious um, about people and the human experience. And that has meant um, for me, it's been doing the great work we've done in HR, but I'm also an artist too. So I've done, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a musician, and I've just looking for ways to connect with my fellow humans and kind of experience the world that we're living through uh, together and find ways to kind of make that come together. And I just, I just love those moments when humans just snap together and feel experiences together and can have a shared sense of optimism moving forward. I love it. I love that. Um, and what about you, Dan? Tell us a little bit about you. Well, the, the nice thing to go second is since Pat and I share such a similar resume in history, I can just say ditto. <laughs> but the difference uh, differences are I'm, I'm my name's Dan not Patrick and I am uh, his his younger brother and so yeah we um we, we founded modern um, survey together in 99 and you know our mission at that point was very simple we felt like uh, organizations needed to get quicker access to data so we had this incredible idea of moving away from number two pencils and scantrons to collecting data on the internet Faster data what a, means, what a, means what, a what a thought, but faster data me, means you know, listening to your people more quickly and actually acting on change right here, right now when it's happening. So, and that was obviously the most important part of, of the mission. And then fast forward, um, we founded Radical six months ago and Pat's description was, was perfect. I'll just, usually when someone says, what do we do in 10 seconds? We inspire change. Mm. If, if, if we can inspire change, for positive, whether it's around social impact, culture, um, and then we're succeeding. 
So that's our commitment to our clients and people that we work with. Um, and what makes us human? So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to give an answer that you have to let me know if you've ever heard this answer. So I think I actually, we actually, I would say I'd be, I share a few things with, with, with other species outside of being human, and that's the capacity to love. Hmm. And, and I think in the, the choice to love more or, or care more and be more humble and, and show empathy, but there, it, but it isn't just being human. There are plenty of other species that also have that ability. So I think we actually share that with everything that's living. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And a lot of our mission is about loving more and being caring more within the organization. So that's definitely a, what a proud human being trait that I have. I, I love both of your answers. Usually we, we get the answer around, you know, I'm human and I make mistakes and uh, and I love that answer too, because it just creates some vulnerability, but I love both of your answers. Um, and speaking of change, I wanted to kind of get your perspectives on, uh, Patrick, earlier when we were talking, you call it, we're, we're in a change moment. So I want to hear from you what that moment means and what it consists of right now. I think we all feel it, but let's let's just put it into words. Um, and maybe Patrick, we'll start with you again. Sure. So, I mean, if we think back over the last 12 months, I mean, it's just almost incredible to think about what has changed and what we've all experienced collectively. And the change moment is made up of one you know, major pandemic, obviously, and that had a huge effect on every single person in the world for the most part. And for us, those of us in human resources and whose job it is to try and make workplaces great, it meant that the way people are working and where they're working just became disrupted. You know, um, something like 42 or 43% of the workforce is working, was began to work from home. Um, and then there's another set of workers uh, who had to continue to go to work on the front lines, whether they're healthcare workers or retail workers. Um, and then they're just every day out there with, you know, health and safety concerns that just weren't there before this happened. So, that experience we've had has just been stressful. Um, and um, it was amazing to see how our organizations adapted to it, but there's still this sort of human experience to that, which is just, it's a lot of weight. And I think we're still gaining perspective on what has happened and what were some of the upsides, um, but what were some of the kind of collective damages that we've taken um, as, as, a, as a world, as a country, and at, your, at our organizations. And then the, the second one was, you know, Dan and I are based here in the Twin Cities and um, in May of last year, there was a terrible event. Um, it was the, the murder of George Floyd. And um, it, was this, it was the one-two punch. And, you know, we were literally on the ground here in the Twin Cities and experiencing that. And, and, you know, anybody who was in a major city certainly felt the effects of that. But we realized that um, as much as it seems like we thought we had maybe had made change um, around some of the injustices um, between um, different backgrounds and people, um, there were still some institutional, societal, major problems. <laughs> and, and it was just captured, it was just this unique moment that just captured it where we could had this idea of truth, we could see it and you couldn't, you couldn't um, debate it. And that powerful moment um, resulted in major um, outpouring and, 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 and a reaction to that. And then organizations were responding to that and, and had to respond to that. So those two events, um, came together and what I think one of the, what we've seen out of that is um, we've been reacting and responding to it in different ways personally um, and then also in organizations but we're also seeing how organizations and people are sort of have to take a stand on this and I think that's yeah. that's sort of the background and then maybe I'll just stop there and let Dan if you want to jump in and build on that anymore 
Um, no, I mean, I think that's, that's I, I agree. I mean, I, I think what I, but I think, well, let me add, add a layer of optimism on, on top of that, because I agree with all that first, just repeating it, what that, the change that now we've been seeing, we, we did see a lot of people rise to the occasion. A lot of people rise up as leaders, as human beings, as community members, as um, neighbors, as friends and, and, and people, you know, it, it was magical. It, it's the power of being human, right? What, what human beings can do for each other when they're pressed against the wall. Um, and unfortunately they were pressed really hard. So I, I, I think we did see a lot of positive outpouring of love and support, but you know, our, my biggest concern is sustainability and how do we actually make that the norm versus a reaction. And I think, and, and if we apply that to organizational culture, it's very similar. Um, a lot of organizations took a stand. A lot of organizations put, said the right things on their website, um, said the right things to their employees. But again, change happens not from a statement, change happens from action. So um, we did see a lot of great activity and a lot of, I think, a movement begin last year. But now 2021 is all about how do we continue this and sustain this and grow this? Yes. And, and Dan, um, yeah, we were talking earlier. We, we had a lot of this conversation before we even started. So I was like, hey, we got to click record. We got to click record. Because uh, you all had some brilliant perspective as we were formulating this, um, this conversation. Um, you talked about the tension around organizations taking a stand and the connection with this idea of in inclusivity, right? Which we're trying, we're, we're really looking to change behavior and systemic, uh, systemic processes, programs, things that have created exclusivity for years and years and decades and generations combined. So tell us a little bit about that tension and yeah. um, how you see that being a conflict and just kind of a disruption with all of this work. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're to a point where a lot of CEOs are, are feeling, and rightfully so, and understandably so, that they kind of need to stand on, which side of the line do you, do you stand on when it comes to some of the, you know, social impact causes and social justice causes, um, because their people are demanding it of them, right, within the, the organization. And I think they, they do need to do that. But, but I think where the tension comes is if you take a stand, it doesn't mean you're not being inclusive or it shouldn't mean you're not being inclusive. And what I mean by that is, is we, we have to continue to believe all are welcome. If we don't start with that premise and we immediately jump to, I'm on this side of the line and all are welcome who follow my beliefs, we're actually kicking, you know, being, have been an inclusive workforce and inclusive culture right, right in the face, right? Um, we, we can clearly open up and this is, and say, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. These are, this is our purpose. These are our set of values. However, all are welcome, right? But to be here, this is what we need to rally around. And so I think, what CEOs and those who are you know, making these statements need to understand is it isn't just a, a political statement. You also need to, uh, you know, you, you need to remind everyone all are welcome. And we're, we're going to rally around what we do and why we do it and what our purpose is. Um, but but you, are, you should actually have a core set of values that align with what side of the line you stand on. So I think there's a lot, a lot of tension in how to do that, 
how to do that in a politically correct way, how to not alienate, alienate your, your clients. I mean, these are real business realities. So, um, but I believe in being transparency, being open and honest and, and say what you believe um, is an important starting, starting point. Yeah, and I was just gonna jump in on that. Apologies, Angela. The, um, you know, I know all of us, all three of us agree with this idea of, of this sort of whole person approach uh, that we need to be taking. And that's sort of one construct. And a lot of that is in response to those things we just talked about, kind of these just remarkable changes we're going through. And those boundaries between work and life have really been removed in many different ways, like literally removed. Um, and so we need to be designing toward that. If we're thinking about employee experience strategies, we need to take this whole person approach where we're, we, we have to you know, understand that work and life is really intermingled. So we have to, we have to welcome that and understand that um, and, um, and design for that. And then the other sort of tension point the way Dan described it is, um, well, there's, there's also this, as organizations respond to what's been happening in the last year, they have to sort of take a, take a position. And I think that really does end up manifesting around that, you know, that sort of purpose and value statement. And I think that may be part of the solution out forward with this, which is, if, or, if, if organizations haven't, they should be looking at that. Like, why are we, kind of the why? Why are we here, and what's important to us? And then everything gets designed around that, um, you know. And then we do have to have the whole person approach, but it needs to be wrapped around this idea of kind of value and purpose. And I think that probably starts to be starts to give us this idea of sort of, you know, organizations are sort of building their own sort of idea of truth or their whole idea of sort of. Um, uh, fairness uh and um and then that's and then that's where we start designing around that i think that's probably some of the solution forward but i i'd love to get your thoughts on that too angela as you i mean I, I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about this and talking to a lot of smart people about it yeah it's 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 certainly a a, a tough place to be for organizations um as they're really reevaluating the context. Um, you know, we, we always learn, I guess, we've always talked about values being like set in stone, right? Like your culture can change, but your values shouldn't change. And I know we talked about this before. Uh, so, you know, organizations do, I believe, do need to start reevaluating their values because those values might have been built on things that may have created created exclusivity, for example, in the past without even knowing it or have created behaviors that are not going to serve us in the future. Um, so it is kind of a reckoning, I believe, for, for people, for organizations to take a moment and pause and reevaluate the, the, the building blocks of culture, you know, which for me is like mission, vision, values, leadership, and then, you know, how you really start to formulate prioritization around what we're focused on and what we're working on. And that includes things we do in the community and how we interact with the community. So I, I agree with you. I think we're in, in a place of a, of, of a reckoning, but it's interesting because uh, Dan, back to your point around like thinking about all the different views and trying not to be exclusive but it's also making sure that we're very clear about what our values are and what our views are. The organization is an entity of itself. Um, so if right. we stand against, if we are standing against racism or we are, we are committed to anti-racism, we obviously are gonna say, you know, racism has no place here. So we are excluding that view in a way, but the view itself is exclusive. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, right. no, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, 
and I think that's an interesting statement and using, you know, kind of the, the we stand against racism. And, and if, if, if there is a single company that doesn't have that as a core value, then I would be very disappointed. <laughs> so right. let's, let, let's, just, let's assume that that's an assumption. But taking that example, that means it is not tolerated, period. And, and that is, you know, when we think about organizational values and, and um, you know, and that's where organizations might need to look in the mirror and do that reflection moment. And, and look, organizations have, have grown over the years and it's okay to say we did it wrong and we're evolving. And I think like, I wanna see more CEOs take that stand. You know, there's this, this feeling that you can't somehow, if, if you pivot on values, it, it shows a sign of weakness or, or you show, you're showing failure. And I'm here to say, no, it actually shows <laughs> being fearless and being brave. And then yet you're willing to actually look in the mirror and say, you know what, we didn't do this right. And we've tolerated some bad behavior and this is not gonna run it. And then you're standing on the right side of the line and you know, you're know you implementing your, your values and you're saying all are welcome, but you know there are certain things that will not be tolerated. And I think that to me, that's um, you know, an opportunity we have. Yeah, I think it, it really comes down to baking in and defining what inclusive behaviors are and what they're not. Um, I think a lot of organizations have values, but they don't have behaviors. Uh, and that is a, yes. that's, that's a core, that's an issue because if you say we, I don't know, we're an inclusive company, right? Let's just say that's a value, I, you know, arbitrarily. What does that mean? Tell me how that shows up. How are leaders supposed to act? How are they creating psychological safety? How are we making sure we're hiring those people and and holding people accountable to those things. That's what I think it really comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, Angela, is we're, you know, here at Radical, we're kind of rethinking the people science to understanding this. So there's the design side, what we're talking about, which is, you know, if you're an organization, what do you do and how do you approach with the value? You know, how do you take a fresh look at a reckoning around values? I love that, um, that, that word, because it's, it means, pay attention, <laughs> you know, right. if there's something big happened. Um, but then when it comes time to thinking about measuring it, so you've got a plan and then you're trying, then you've got an organization you need to manage it. You know, we, the people science, we start with at the core level here at Radical, we think about, um, we think about the behaviors, we think about perceptions and we think about beliefs, you know, kind of at that atomic level. And we think about where those persist for any individual in any context. We kind of, and we start with that idea, sort of that node. And then we think, okay, well then we're, and then how can we start to listen around these things to look for signals and information that starts to build sort of a graph around teams and around individuals. And we think that's sort of the, the science and management of the future is more of that kind of a strategy. And it's kind of moving away from that traditional, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, Dan and I grew up on employee engagement and it's great, but it's, it got us to, to, to you know, got us to 2020, but it's just like the science beyond this, it just has to really change considerably because it's just become much more complex. And we also have a lot more capabilities now uh, in terms of being able to start to understand with more accuracy about what's happening with that employee experience. So can you hit on, um, so this is a good a good shift into, I think, um, really going from like meta, you know, we need to change values and behaviors to like, this is how we do it, um, which I think really gets to the, the tool that you all have created and you all have thought leadership in. So what talk about the change move uh, moment for the science and what are the elements you all are looking at to say we really need to step away from this and lean into that <laughs> what are those elements 
Um, I don't know, Dan, do you want to start first, maybe? Let's jump in, Dan. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I, we kind of, um, you know, I, the, really where we start are, and I, it's going to sound a little, little awkward, but we start with, with the small things, um, with many, many organizations. And, and what I mean by the small things is, is, you know, if, if we're working with organization X, um, just evaluating even the way we communicate, the words we use, the language we, we use, the, you know, the, the kind of culture we believe we, we, we've created, um, and just, you know, work with senior leadership to go through that moment of, um, you know, that self-reflection moment, Angela, that, that we, we've talked about. So, um, you know, one exercise we always go through first is, does everyone know the purpose and the why? I mean, I, I can't, Mm. Um, I can't, you know, state how important that is. Yeah, and, and and is it still? And then the values underneath that. Do the values ultimately reflect what the purpose and the why is? So just going through that exercise of, of language, of why do we exist, right? What do we stand for? Which again, if we get that right, people and if people then believe in that, and they're coming into work every day, and they remember this is why I'm coming to work. Yes, I have a specific job for, but it's for a greater purpose, something greater than myself. Um, and then finally, and in order to do that, these are the values I need to live and breathe every day. And so it's really going through that exercise, and that is, you know, that's a big part of this change movement, and that does. Um, encompass allowing for the whole person experience and that and that means individuals to be themselves right to to be if they can only show up 50 percent of the time or they have 50 percent of capacity that should be okay we need to start breaking down these barriers and boundaries within hr too right and, and allow, allow us to be an individual if we want to be allow us to be our whole person if we need to be um, and so and that does mean you know, empathy has to become not just a word anymore. It has to be lived and breathed and, and humble leaders need, need to be groomed. And, 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 you know, not everyone should just move into leadership positions because of tenure or time served, right? It has to be those who are willing to listen more and willing to, to, to actually empower those, those around them. So, you know, that's really the starting point for us. And that's a big part of this change movement. And then that kind of drives the science. Um, and the new approaches that, that we're using. And I'll let um, Pat speak about that. Yeah, and then to, to, to pick up on what Dan was saying, beyond that, then we start to look for those behaviors that start to you know, manifest and make up um, those values and up, up into purpose. And then we start to think about, well, where are the, you know, and it's different for different organizations. And then we start to think about how these start to collect into the kind of constellations or constructs that are helpful to understand. And, you know, and some of that's based on, it sort of has history and culture. Some of that has history and engagement. Some of that has history and more leadership development or development. Um, and um, and we're, we're trying to kind of let those, those traditional things go and just trying to work it more at, at the atomic level and then start to, to figure out, okay, where can we find, again, evidence of these behaviors, perceptions, beliefs, as they're happening and then how do we start to do that we've only been at this for six months and you know so it's a lot of this is new and so what this means for us is we have data scientists we have io psychologists that we're partnering with to help us kind of start to build out these new models as we go forward we're learning as we go um it's really the beginning of a new adventure we see we cut dan and i believe this is the beginning of the next 20 years of science um and then um and we're also with our with our clients now we're starting out more consultatively and then backing into this um, because 
we think you, if you're not leading with a good plan first, there's there's so many capabilities out there. There's so many different ways of doing things. But if you're not starting with a good plan um, and a strategy initially, the way, especially the way Dan, Dan described, it just it's just going to fail. So we're focusing our energy there, and then the solutioning and capabilities are coming up around that. Got it. No, that's brilliant. Um, and you know, there's there's definitely a science to this. I mean, I'm an IO psychologist, so you know, I could nerd out on this all day. And I, I think there's the, the concept of engagement, right? Um, the construct of engagement, I think, quite honestly, is changing. I think it is shifting to this idea of, uh, you know, bringing your human to work versus being at work and kind of like altering your human to the traditional workplace. Uh, I think workplaces are going to be in a place of building and designing around humans versus building and designing around old structures and systems that just don't serve us anymore. Uh, and so I guess the, the, the last thing I wanted to end with um, is getting your perspective about what then happens outside of the survey, what happens outside of the science, because you both are uh, two of the best storytellers I know. <laughs> um, you all have that background too. I mean, you use it in your work with Radical, but also um, you know, I know you all are, are, are making movies and productions and so storytelling is in your DNA is what I'm saying. So how does that, how does that concept of storytelling impact then how you sustain this work outside of the science, how you actually go out and apply it? Um, I wanted to make that connection there because storytelling, I think does have a big part of all this. I'll just, I'll just say a few things, Dan, and then just jump yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, story. Yeah. I, that's such a great question. It's like that was like a softball yeah. question. Thank you. I, I love that question. Yeah, you have twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'll keep it. We'll keep it down to a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, the power of story. You know, you know, I just spent the last two or three years making a movie, and um, and it's just it's amazing how hard you have to work to build empathy to, to have the person who's experiencing the movie kind of gain empathy for their characters, and so empathy is sort of that that is the is the the human condition that comes through story. It's what we feel. Yeah. Right, and when we can empathize with a situation, then we we can open ourselves up more, um, and we get pulled into it. And and I think that's that sets us up for this kind of transformative moments. Um, so so when we think about story, it's in in how we're designing things at HR. It's like, well, how do we how do we make how do we design things so we can have those those empathy connections? And Dan alluded to this earlier, where I can relate or connect to a situation, and then see my and then and then if the design is good, I see my relation to that thing. And then I can, you know, and then through that, there's hopefully a learning moment, you know, uh, or there's an opportunity to kind of make a connection. It, or we set up a context where there's, we optimize a good conversation that can happen between two people. Because we think that's where, you know, the atomic level is the person, you know, or that's the node, but then it's, but, but culture and the world is defined by itty bitty connections and the values we hold together, right? And, and then the more we strengthen that, the more we go. So that's, I think that's how we sustain that at organizations is to start solutioning toward that. Uh, that's as far as I'm going to go, Dan, once you jump in, because we could talk about yeah. this for literally yeah. an hour. <laughs> part yeah, I'll try to, yeah. yeah, part part two, the power of story. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. I, I think, I guess I'll just simply say that um, human beings and people remember a story well, well before they remember data points. Um, you know, they connect to a story that moves them just the same reason that, that, music and lyrics connect to us and they become the soundtrack of our lives and any song that you might love 
you know, you'll listen to it and the lyrics become yours, right? You, you turn them into something that's meaningful for you, right? The artist who wrote the lyrics, you're not interpreting them through the eyes of that artist or that writer. It become, they become yours. And that's why music works and that's why film works. People connect to film because they see something in themselves typically, or they see something that they believe in or something that they wanna believe in, or it gives them hope or whatever the, those things are. And, and that, there's nothing more powerful than that because that moves people and that motivates people to actually make a change in their lives, to, to do something nice that that day they're inspired by something they watch or something they listen to. So the more leaders can embrace the power of story um, and, and there's so many different aspects and how you do that. And that would be an entire podcast on its own, but I will just, you know, kind of leave it at that. If, 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 if you can understand and remember the power of music and the power of film and how that impacts your life, imagine if we, we could apply that to how organizations use story to inspire and engage their people. I love it. And I just, to kind of uh, tie the bow on that, you know, um, when, when we talk about culture and organizations, I don't think we always make the connection to culture, <laughs> you know, just culture, right? I mean, when you talk, think about culture, it's just a culmination of micro habits and actions and traditions and artifacts that we've built within a microcosm, within a contained space right? But it lives within this broader culture. Yeah. And uh, I, I just never take for granted the fact that those two things, the, the way we think about those two things are the same. Um, the human condition, we, we do connect to experiences. And so we have to bring that into um, meeting the moment. So we talked about this change moment that we have, rethinking the science, but then I think how that is operationalized needs to then connect back to the human. Yes. So I will end in this right in yeah. a circle. Absolutely. Beautifully summarized. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so I want to thank you both. I would love to actually have you back to talk more about storytelling because talking more about this, I'm I'm making some connections just in my own brain about the importance of that, especially with this human-centric workforce. Mm -hmm. So um and I'll, I could talk to you both all day. So uh, <laughs> just thank you so much for joining, taking the time. I know you all get asked to do this a lot and um, appreciate your, your insights today. Thank you, Angela. Thanks. This has been a fantastic conversation. And keep up the good work. We love the work you do. Yes. Yeah, thank you for Big everything fans. you do, Angela. Thank you. Guys. Thank you.